Hi everyone, welcome to the ninth episode of Under Control. My name is Paul Bartlett and on today's show is Matt Barthel, who is the CTO and Data Protection Officer of Adamas Consulting Group. We will discuss how drug researchers and pharma companies are facing new challenges due to COVID-19 and how can remote auditing work with ultra-sensitive data. Hi Matt, welcome to Under Control. How are you doing there today? Uh, hi, Paul. Yeah, doing very well. Thank you. Good. So Matt's from Adamas Consulting, based out of the UK, um, working in the pharmaceutical and biotech industries. You have a small consultancy firm there. Um, and I'd like to find out, I'll let you take the mic, but I'd like to find out a little bit about yourself as a background. You know, you've got the title of the Chief Technology Officer and a DPO, and, uh, also, yes. <laughs> and also, you know, where did you come from? So I think I'll just hand it over to you, give you some time to talk about yourself yeah. um, and about Adamas. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Paul. And uh, thanks also for the opportunity to to contribute to the podcast. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, yeah, so my name is Matt Barthel. Uh, I'm the Chief Tele- Technology Officer for Adamas Consulting Group. Uh, we are... Uh, headquartered in the UK, and we provide uh, independent quality assurance services and consultancy to the pharma industry, as as you just said. Uh, we're one of the the largest and longest established organisations uh, of this kind. We were we're still privately owned. We were founded in uh, 1998, so we've just celebrated our 22 year anniversary. Thank you very much. Yeah, the company (laughs) focuses on supporting pharmaceutical companies uh, in the industry. They're known as sponsors, particularly when it Mm -hmm. comes to clinical research, they're known as sponsors. Uh, So I might refer to the sponsor in this conversation. And and that that just means that the people who are developing the, the new product. Uh-huh. Um, so these organizations, it's the likes of, you know, GSK, Pfizer, mm-hmm. uh, people like that, big global organizations, they're developing new drugs, vaccines and medical devices. Uh, so we support them. We have offices in the UK, the US and India, uh, because now drug development is a global undertaking, you know, we need to have uh, people globally. We've got about 50 to 60 full-time employees uh, spread ac- across the globe so we can reach the, you know, the, the right places geographically yeah. uh, where, where we need to do the work. So I joined Adamas about four years ago. Um, I've worked actually though in regulated clinical trials for, for most of my career. Uh-huh. Uh, I started in the UK uh, National Health Service, uh, and I got that uh, more years ago than I, <laughs> I care to remember. <laughs> and I got my uh, my first taste of of regulated clinical trials working in a, a clinical pharmacology research unit. This is a place that does the very early stages of testing on right. health healthy subjects. This is before a, a drug has gone anywhere near a patient who may be right. you know having having issues with the disease. Yeah. Um this was a long time ago back I started back in 1991. Uh, right. I may be showing my age but we didn't even have <laughs> we didn't even have email in those days. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think I was just finishing school then so <laughs> that's <laughs> Oh stop it. Okay. Um, yeah so I've worked in a quality assurance I've worked in quality assurance in some capacity ever, ever since then. Uh, I've worked for usually large organizations either contract organizations that undertake research on behalf of sponsors 
Mm-hmm. or right. the sponsor organizations themselves. So I've worked for GSK on it. I've worked for AstraZeneca. Um, and my speciality is in regulated computer system validation and computer systems compliance. Uh, when a sponsor develops a new drug, nowadays, much of this involves technology or or computer systems. Those computer systems come under regulations, which I'll go on to talk in a little bit. Um, And there are some requirements to make sure that all the computer systems that are working in that regulated environment are actually fit for purpose, that that, they're reliable uh, and the results that we're getting can be relied upon effectively. Right. Okay. Uh, So my role as CTO Adamas is really to help the business grow through through the use of technology. Um, I'm responsible for creating and implementing our IT strategy. So, you know, what are we, how are we going to do that in the short, medium and and long term? I'm also, uh, you know, kind of responsible on a practical level for IT service delivery. And I'm also Adamas's data protection officer, which means that I'm also responsible for the company's data privacy compliance as well. Yeah, that's the one that interests me is the data protection officer. So that's yeah. a new role that's come along because of GDPR. So yeah, keen to know a little bit more about what that means for you. Yeah, it's interesting because if you look purely in, in terms of GDPR, we we are arguably not obliged to have a DPO under, under the strict strictest interpretation of the regulations. But actually, it's our customer... Ex- customers' yeah. expectations that we do have a DPO, or at least somebody who is, yeah. you know, very firmly responsible for you know data privacy matters. So I think we, you know, we decided to go the whole hog and appoint a DPO. Right. What that looks like in in you know kind of day to day terms is first of all reviewing agreements and data processing agreements with our customers to make sure that when we're working with them, we're complying in in the right way with data privacy uh, requirements. And also that they're, you know, if we're tr- talking about transferring data, we also need to make sure that they're going to, you know, deal with that data responsibly. It also means looking at our data privacy standard operating procedures and policies being responsible mm-hmm. for in many cases the creation and implementation of of those things and also for monitoring compliance to a to a certain extent um, and then it's it's also i guess i see this also as as partly an advocacy role as well uh, yeah. i'm the person that people come to in our organization if they've got a question or concern about how their data is being dealt with. And of course, I'm open to approaches from data subjects outside. So if they want to exercise, if any of our data subjects want to exercise their rights under GDPR, so right to be forgotten, or you know, they want yeah. to look at the data that we have for them, then that's that falls to me mm-hmm. as well. Right. I see you got your hands pretty full then <laughs> over there. It's a, it's a varied role. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, Good. and I think it really it really uh is actually quite an honor to be able to say that, yeah. you know, along with with uh my colleagues, we're involved and we contribute to the development of, you know, some important new medicines mm-hmm. that really impact on on patients. Yeah. quality of life and that's it's easy to lose sight of that fact perhaps when we, you know we're talking about 
you know, what some people may see as fairly dry subjects, you know, data privacy yeah. and, and IT and, you know, regulated computer systems. But at the end of all of that is a patient yeah. where they're there to serve. And that's, you know, something that we try to keep yeah. an awareness of all the time. Yeah. Well, that's good, Matt, because uh, I think that's also the same for, for us here in, in the industry working of technology is that mm. it can be pretty vague. And do you think that what's the end result of impacting any change at all? But uh, for us as well, I mean, we work with some NGOs that are collecting huge amounts of data. Yeah. Um, and that data is is paramount potentially to changing uh, somebody's life or changing something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah. I think it's it's easy to get stuck into the mundane tasks, but if you keep that in mind, it, what about what you're doing, about every day showing up and, and thinking that you're actually making a difference. Yeah. Um, and yeah, recently we've, yeah, recently we've taken on some, some pretty big NGOs that are doing some pretty impressive things. Um, and to be part of that is, is, is slightly overwhelming. So, mm. um, <laughs> yeah, when you go a little bit deeper beyond that, it's, it's a little bit more than technology. It's more about the humans. So coming yeah, into the point yeah. about what you do is uh, the farmers are big in like it's fast yeah. right yeah. it's there's biotech there's everyone seems to sometimes put it under the same umbrella is it under the same umbrella is biotech separate from pharma <clears throat> or do we just give us some insight into into that field into that that industry yeah it's a it's a good question um i think uh, if you like biotech is a, is a subset of the, of mm -hmm. the pharma industry it comes under uh the umbrella of you know, pharmaceutical development, mm -hmm. and, and it's focused on smaller, innovative companies who are perhaps using different or new approaches to to reach effectively the same goal. You know, the the objective here is to develop a, a, a new treatment which will contribute to you know a patient's quality of life. And it's, it's really we're just talking about how how you go about it. There's the the traditional medicinal product route. There's the uh, you know the biotech route, vaccines, of course, very relevant mm -hmm. at the moment. And that's a, right. that's a different you know route of, of development, if you like. It's still under the same same umbrella. And also nowadays we're seeing you know medical devices. So there's a you know kind of a technology aspect to you know maybe a, a new way of delivering a medicine rather than a, a medicine itself. And of course that is also subject to. Um, you know, regulation as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, the, the pharma industry is, you know, in general is very broad and there are kind of specialities or, or different development routes within it. There are also yeah. different phases of development, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about uh, later on as well. Okay, so you're pretty spread right across the, the field of, of pharma. So you can potentially be working <laughs> yes. with all of yeah. these different subsets yes. of companies, yeah. Or yeah. biotech, yeah, that, whatever that means. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure listeners will be aware that all of those development routes, the, the development of new products, pharmaceutical new products is very tightly regulated, you know, and yeah. quite rightly so. Uh, it, it has been for many years. There are government agencies who are responsible for oversight of the development process. So in the States, it's the, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. In Europe, it's the EMA, the European Medicines Agency. And in the UK, it's... Uh, 
the MHRA, uh, Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. So we deal with any activities, any development activities, which fall under the auspices of those regulatory authorities. Right. Um, they the, the broad umbrella is good clinical practice, which covers clinical trials, good laboratory practice, which covers the preclinical yeah. activities, and good manufacturing practice, which is... Uh, focused on the actual physical production of the tablet or the vaccine or, or whatever it should be. Mm-hmm. And let's just take a look at the industry then from what it was to where it's coming now. So obviously every industry goes through a lot of challenges um, yeah, and particularly yeah. in clinical research. I mean, it's more visible today than probably it ever has been to the general public. Yeah, because yeah, absolutely. Of the situa- because of the climate that we're in. So, yeah. but going oh, back, that's- <laughs> <laughs> but going back, I mean, where you've seen it evolve and you've seen things change. Yeah. So, what's been been the highlights on your journey or on the Adamas journey about? bringing in new technology or whether it's regulation, maybe you can give us some background about you know, the clinical research area itself. And yeah, how it's absolutely. Yeah. And I was just slightly uh, chuckling there because it's, uh, it's a really good point that actually mm-hmm. regulation of, of drug development has been going on uh, for years, um, yeah. uh, but it has been, you know, behind the scenes. And I think there, there, there isn't necessarily a great awareness of everything that, that, that goes into it. So actually this is a, you know, you're right. This is now becoming much more, uh, in, you know, uh, front and center in terms of the public consciousness as we're talking about COVID, uh, vaccines and, and getting those to market as, as quickly as possible. So, you know, good, good thing in terms of raising awareness. Um, but in, you know, in terms of background, um, Obviously, it's crucial to individual and public health that that new medicines are, are safe and effective, and you know the regulations exist to make sure that subjects have been uh, the medicines sorry have been subject to uh, the the rigorous testing that's necessary uh, before they're made available to the public. Obviously, the consequences of releasing a drug. Uh, you know, to millions of people, uh, uh, if if it's not safe and efficacious could be could be pretty serious mm-hmm. so there's there's a series of mandatory development steps that you have to take from the preclinical steps before they even get anywhere near a human being mm-hmm. through to 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 much lengthier clinical development phases from very small uh, studies in healthy volunteers, maybe only four or six or eight healthy volunteers um, receive a very uh, small amount of, of the test drug uh, in in the first instance, uh, right through to uh, what we call phase three clinical trials, which are involving yeah. thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of subjects or patients to to ensure that when this new treatment does come to market, then it, it, it is safe and it works. I think it's easy to see that there's a tension between the need for scientific discovery yeah. and the need to bring new medicines to market and commercial pressures. I mean, we've seen this with COVID, haven't we? There's a, a strong desire, understandably, to get that vaccine to market yeah. as soon as possible, but also 
we need to make sure that when we do that, it's actually safe uh, and it is going to protect people, you know, as as anticipated. So the regulations really exist to make sure that 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 a balance is reached between mm-hmm. those two imperatives, you know, the discovery and and commercial sides of the of the argument, and and to make sure that ultimately subjects are, are protected, um, you know, from any potential harm or abuses that that may come about if the if one or the other you know begins to take precedence mm-hmm. so i i guess many listeners will no doubt remember the th- uh, thalidomide scandal from the 50s yeah. and 60s uh when women were given thalidomide to treat nausea during pregnancy and that resulted in severe birth defects it's very easy from a dramatic example like that to see you know why drug development has to be mm-hmm. you know very stringently regulated more recently in 2006 we had an issue in a in an early phase clinical trial in the UK at Northwick Park Hospital um there was a study of a drug produced by Tgenero called uh, TG1412 that had some very uh, uh dramatic and un- unanticipated side effects um and you know this only in inverted commas affected six or seven individuals, but still the effect on them was, you know, quite significant. They were hospitalized uh-huh. or in intensive care uh, uh-huh. and potentially, you know, suffering longer term, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, uh, issues. So, you know, drug develop- development is not without risk. It's not without commercial pressures. Um, and, you know, we, we need to be careful that that uh, you know the rights of the subjects who are participating in that process are, are protected, mm-hmm. but actually, regulation of drug development goes back even way further than the fifties and 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 sixties. Actually, to the aftermath of the Second World War, yeah. uh, the Nuremberg trials. You know, many people will be familiar heard you know harrowing details of unregulated human medical experiments that that could never be allowed to happen again and actually it was that 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 really sparked the beginnings of the regulatory framework Mm -hmm. for clinical trials which is which is still in in place to this day so issues and regulations in response to those issues have been around around for you know for for quite some time our role adamas's role is to visit the sites doing this regulated research today and to evaluate the quality and regulatory compliance of the data, mm-hmm. you know, that's being generated through those research activities. The consequences of poor quality or non-compliance with regulations can be significant. You know, regul- those regulate re- regulatory authorities that I mentioned earlier, FDA and EMA, mm-hmm evaluate applications for marketing approval of new drugs based on that data. Uh, And they also perform on-site inspections to determine how the data supporting those applications was obtained. And if the sponsors are not doing it right, if there's poor data quality, poor compliance, that can lead to enforcement action, which could delay the approval of a new treatment or result actually in the application's rejection completely. So, you know, not only does that have financial implications for the for the pharma company, it means that a potentially desperately needed new treatment that could improve mm-hmm. the quality of life of, of patients is is delayed, which is obviously, yeah. you know, yeah. very uh, undesirable. Matt, 
Okay, Matt. Yeah, I'm just I'm just curious um, to go back and let's just think about the journey around mm. clinical trials of data. So you mentioned, of course, going back after the Second World War, probably everything yeah. was done with pen and paper. Okay, and yes. it was put in a filing cabinet. Yeah. Um, and if you, stored if away. You, if you were lucky, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah. what does it? How has it evolved now? The journey of data from collecting it initially from those volunteers that want to go yeah. into a clinical trial. Um, how is it kept safe? What does Adamas do, uh, consulting-wise, as you mentioned, as a DPO, yeah. um, around that journey of data? And, and what's the obligations on every party to ensure that data is is kept uh, confidential? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a great point. And, and you know, the biggest difference between then and now is is complexity and technology so and the two things kind of go hand in hand as the technology develops you can do more things with that right. technology you can elicit more data you can find out more things uh and and you can use that data to support the safety and efficacy claims of of a new product but of course in order to do that the whole the journey of the data, as, as you call it, it becomes more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, new technology is is kind of disrupting almost every aspect of life, and, and drug development is is no exception. Uh, data compliance with data privacy legislation is also a very hot topic. Yeah. Um, you know, modern clinical trials involve the collection of a huge amount of data. Um, uh, the this is kind of going on around the clock globally in, yeah. in doctors' offices, clinics, and hospitals. There is, you know, nowadays an, an exchange of data mm-hmm. between investigate, investigator sites and third-party trial management organizations, maybe data management specialists, uh, statist- statisticians and statistical analysis groups, and so on. So there's, a, you know, a vast... Uh, flow of data around the globe almost almost 24 hours a day yeah. um you know adamas's concern is is all about helping our clients ensure that that data flow uh, necessary though it is is uh, and remains compliant so mm-hmm. uh how how do we do that we we ev- evaluate processes and and the actual data that that are that are being followed and data that's being um, produced, you know, clinical yeah. trial subjects have have consented to their data to yeah. you know being used in this manner. Um, so that's not an issue, but it is still incumbent on all the parties that touch that data to act responsibly with the data and in compliance with the with the regulations. Um, that, as I mentioned, the data trail is is complex mm-hmm. so we help clients first of all understand the data trail because that can be a challenge in it in itself yeah. <laughs> you know the data <laughs> might start off in the in a doctor's office but then be entered into a system which then communicates with another system which then sends data to a, a laboratory uh, which then communicates with a, a safety database in case there are you know unwanted uh, effects of the drug and so on. So, we first of all, I think it, you know it's key to understanding what that data flow actually looks like, and then it's then it's about 
you know, teasing out the the actual process steps and and what controls are in place to yeah. promote quality and and compliance. Mm-hmm. I think the I guess the key thing is is that some of this data, although it's pseudonymized, is sensitive or special category yeah. data that relates to health. So there's you know, rightly a, a heightened sensitivity about how that data is is handled. So much of our attention is is focused on exactly that. Um, you know, how is that data managed, and and is it robust? Um, and it, you know, and I think the the other really important aspect of clinical trials is that they can be reconstructed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we might be called upon to reconstruct a trial decades after it's finished. So the data must still be available. Uh, Everything must have what they call an audit trail, which means that you can, you can identify where it came from, who recorded it, when, um, uh, and and also that any subsequent changes to that data um, are, are are retained. Uh, And that, that kind of, audit trail or metadata has to be retained alongside the original data as well sometimes for you know it could be 25 years so quite a lot of our efforts are focused on making sure that you know the relevant individuals have access to uh, well not access is the wrong word but the ability to retain that data yeah that they can access the data when when they when they need to but that the the data will not be accidentally deleted or uh you know somehow rendered inaccessible Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the future yeah, and I think to, to the point I wanted to, to jump in here and say, which I saw something the other day, is that we had some clinical trials, of course, with the COVID situation, and then mm. one person became or the, had some side effects, they were hospitalized or assumed that, and there's such a magnifying glass or spotlight yes. on that situation and who that person is and what went yeah. wrong. It's it's like the vultures want to know yeah. all the details yeah. that they can expose that, not necessarily the individual, but the company it was related to, um, and making sure that that data is kept secure. I mean, that, that's absolutely paramount. And obviously, at the same time, keeping the privacy of the patient, that's really important as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you know, many organizations have been challenged by yeah. COVID because there's, there's a public health element to this. And, you know, I, I guess people you know, rightly or wrongly feel that, that there is a kind of a, a right to know. Um, you know, I, I forget who it was, but somebody said famously a long time ago that uh, what's in the public interest is not necessarily what interests the public. <laughs> so there is, there is a, you're right, yeah. a right to, uh, you know, a right to confidentiality. And, and this is true for any clinical trials, in fact, not, ju- not just COVID. Um, but yeah, we the industry works very hard to make sure that that's the case. All the data is pseudonymized, so it should never be possible. Yeah. Um, outside of the investigational site to identify even who's participated in a clinical trial, you know, never mind, never mind what the outcomes are. But yeah, you're right because of the, because of the complexity of the data trail, there are multiple opportunities for that IT mm-hmm. security and privacy measures to fail. So yeah. you know, I think this comes back to what we were saying about understanding the data trail in the first place. You you need to know that. 
in able in order to be able to anticipate where the risks to the data you know that might be um and that's that's an important aspect of our work as well it's not just about oh you know here's a regulation and you failed to comply with the regulation so yeah. you know that's an issue that you need to address we do do that of course but mm-hmm. also it's about looking at quality in a broader sense and not trying to identify where there may be risks to data that that haven't happened yet, and then you put mitigation in place to to prevent the issue from occurring. and And that, for me, as a quality professional, is the is the holy grail. You know, it's of limited value to come come in and, and point out things that have already happened. What what is yeah. more valuable is to take that proactive approach and say, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you'll prevent a data breach or you'll prevent, a, you know, a, an unblinding issue or, or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when we look at the current climate as well, um, there are malicious actors as well. Mm, um, and yeah. some would say state actors that are looking to take on business secrets or disrupt yes. or, or, or feed yeah. fake news into the system because this is the, the you know, this is very much yeah. under spotlight. I mean, from my perspective, the mm. world's gone a little bit off off track at the moment. Um, <laughs> and yeah. and it, some you know for a lot of people, maybe the listeners as well, it's it's it, it can be a little bit scary about what's going on out there. You know, when we hear of these things in the news that foreign actors yeah. are trying to yeah. get hold of clinical yeah. data or, or trying to get yeah. hold of trial data, yeah. Yeah. so. Do you see a huge challenge at this moment in time? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think IT or cybersecurity Mm -hmm. is is just, it's the issue du jour, you know, uh, generally anyway. And I think, you know, that's, that's, you know, a a lot of motivation behind modern data privacy legislation Mm -hmm. is, is to make sure that, uh, yes, there are, you know, important principles to, to be adhered with when it when it comes to collecting data, but it doesn't just stop there. The storage and the security of that data and and the use of that data is is equally important. So, it's something that I think about a lot in my role as uh, CTO. Uh, interesting that you know if you cast your mind back 10, 15 years, I guess. IT security measures were were not as common as they are today, and nowadays organisations like both of ours, I imagine, certainly for yeah. Adamas, has extensive, uh, you know, intrusion alerts, firewalls, obviously anti, you know, the basics, antivirus, anti malware, anti ransomware, but we run, you know, sophisticated simulations now. We yeah. have. Uh, surprise training for our for our people that that presents a potential security breach to them and they have to navigate their their way through that and there's, there's all kinds of you know new new methods for, for trying to combat those those malicious actors and yeah, yeah. it's absolutely essential to to any uh, you know uh, sophisticated IT security um, setup absolutely yeah. I, mean, I don't think I don't think these these challenges are not com- they're not just the pharmaceutical industry you know it's it's everybody yeah. that's facing these uh facing these uh these threats but I think the intellectual the value of the intellectual property that is associated with pharmaceutical products is it makes it an attractive target and I think we have to be 
you know, very careful in terms of ke keeping our disaster recovery um, environments up to date and and uh, accessible, so we can we can combat those without a significant interruption to our business. Mm -hmm. And as COVID nineteen is the topic of the moment, um, very much so, and it's disrupted so many uh, industries. Uh, yeah. How is it disrupting? Your the the pharmaceutical industry yeah. because as part from the the people coming in on going into Cambridge coming into the clinics or whatever mm. that may be, mm. there are a number of supporting staff that potentially are working remotely as well. Um, and is that yeah. something that's yeah. a challenge uh, for these companies? Uh, yeah, I think working remotely for us it has has not been that much of a challenge because we we are a distributed workforce anyway. Right. I would say eighty percent of us. Uh, work from home and have always worked from home. So we are well set up with the systems and the procedures and the, and the equipment that we need, uh, you know, to do that in a, yeah. a fairly seamless manner where, where COVID has provided us with a, with a big challenge is actually in the, the, the conduct of our, uh, our work so you know it's not it's not an easy undertaking at the best of times to ensure that you know sometimes these very complex clinical trials comply with the quality and and you know regulatory requirements um and you know we we the industry employs significant resource uh, to do that and until recently many of many of those measures re relied upon visits to research sites uh, so, so the the place where the research is actually being done, in order to monitor the trial conduct, and in our case to evaluate the the quality and compliance, um, uh, as as we've been doing at Adamas for a number of years, the the ability to visit trial sites now has obviously been severely impacted since yeah. March with lockdowns and uh, travel restrictions and also you know a significant factor is that the institutions who are doing the research are also part of the local health service infrastructure so they are overwhelmed mm -hmm. with with other problems uh you know so clinical research might not be the top of their uh priority list when you've got uh you know a bunch of of COVID patients uh, to to try to care for, um, the 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 challenge, the difficulty is that for clinical trials, though you can't just stop them, uh, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, with, because there 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 are ill people in these trials. They may be relying upon the care and the medication that they're getting through the clinical trial, and you just can't pull the rug out from an, from under under them um so to a certain extent for clinical trials it's it's business as usual mm -hmm. including of course new clinical trials that are specifically focused on you know covid-19 vaccine so these yeah. trials are still ongoing there's still a need for and the, the the sponsor companies have a responsibility to continue to ensure the safety of the people in those trials even in the middle of a a, a pandemic the regulatory inspections that that um, that that we mentioned earlier are are still ongoing, um, and you know perhaps there's even an added layer, which is that the impact of of COVID nineteen on those data collection processes and the, and the trials themselves 
also needs to also also needs to be evaluated and 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 taken account of so so that so the the duality or the challenge there is that the the, the audits that adamas do are needed more than ever but mm-hmm. in contrast they're actually more difficult than ever to conduct yeah. because we can't travel to the sites but yeah as i think we're probably going to go on to talk about we we have developed some some solutions to that yeah yeah because that's what i wanted to get to is that, that i mean a lot of the, the um staff that are supporting staff around the auditing and that are basically office-based potentially they're not in the office any yeah. longer yeah. um they're working remotely that's a headache for the pharmaceutical it managers that they've got to start thinking about other security um and helping those people being able to conduct their job every day um and you're not able to face the auditors, and yet that data somehow has got to be exchanged, right? So, like you say, yes, this exactly. trial doesn't stop, yeah. but you're not there on site anymore. You're based in you know the comfort of your home, and also the auditors based in the comfort of their home. Yes, and you need to to that. So, so how's that challenge? Yeah, uh, being overcome for you guys now. Well, it's a good question because this has really been the focus of my entire working life for probably about the past year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is how we manage those those challenges. I mean, I think you know, as I said previously, we're 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 yeah. pretty uh, pretty much covered in terms of 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 working from home. We have all the yeah. IT security practices and processes and systems and monitoring and and all of the stuff that you would expect in place already and and it's been like that for uh for you know quite some time yeah um we are because we work in a regulated environment we're fairly stringent in terms of the control that we exert over things like workstations and the the freedom that people have to you know to manage their own IT issues which is frankly not not very much because we need to make sure that you know we we are obliged to maintain mobile device management we're yep. obliged to maintain you know, proper security regime. We're obliged to maintain a disaster recovery environment so we can switch over. You know, if if, if we need to very quickly. Um, so I think all of those things are are in place. You know, we've got reasonably good uh, training and and frequent and ongoing training as well to to make sure that people are aware of you know their IT security yeah. uh, uh, responsibilities. The impact on actually the ability of those individuals to to do their work is is probably where the bigger challenge is um so we have we have really had to change a great deal of of how how we work um so for example we've implemented a process whereby we can do audits remotely we have a, we've developed a set of new innovative tools to allow quality indicators to be evaluated quickly um, and in a, t- in a targeted manner using a modular quality assessment approach. Uh, we have a, a cloud-based uh, platform for risk-based quality management, which allows sponsor- sponsors to identify real and emerging risks to data and compliance so we are we're accessing the data remotely so we're not traveling but we're still getting good quality and timely data that allows our clients to make decisions And, and one of the big decisions is 
you know, they they have the same restrictions, of course, in terms of travel. Um, So they have a limited ability. If there is an issue, they have a limited ability to 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 fix that so they need to know where to focus their resources mm-hmm. and that's where we help with with the risk-based quality management platform yeah. it tells them immediately you've got a problem here or you've got an emerging problem over there that you might need to think about in a couple of weeks or you might mm-hmm. need to start mitigating yeah how just we've done to, that, ju- sorry, sorry go just, ahead, go yeah ahead, go ahead matt i just want to jump in there because one of the things that we're seeing at the moment <laughs> is there is um a lot of companies come to us, large companies, saying this is something new for us. We've got our workforce working remotely. We've got yeah. sensitive data yeah. that we need to exchange. Typically, everything would have been on-premise. Uh, yes. Anything that we needs to be audited, we would come onto the premise yes. and we would access yeah. it from those systems. Now the headache is, is like, okay, so how are we going to get it out of the system? Exactly. How are we going to allow our auditor who's sitting at home uh, in Oxford or whatever, get that yeah. over to... Uh, somebody down in the southwest who needs to audit that that that, that those documents and that information and, sure. and this yeah. is what we're seeing time and time again now is yeah. coming up is that we've got existing tools but are those existing tools sufficient enough from an audit perspective from a security perspective to get that yeah. get that job done and fulfill the legal requirements from the regulator yeah no, it's a, it's a great point, and I think it's a it's a work in progress. I mean, I, I think Adamas has risen to the challenge, you know, quite effectively. The, the foundation for the initiatives that I just mentioned is really a comprehensive and pre-existing quality management system that incorporates strong data protection principles uh, and implementing mechanisms such as secure document story, uh, sharing rather with investigator sites and auditees and sponsors mm-hmm. so that so that you know I mentioned the heightened sensitivity about about sharing data if you've got a good GDPR compliant platform then mm-hmm. you know that that many aspects of that sensitivity is is addressed um, you know I think we've made a significant investment in compliance ourselves so there is a level of comfort comfort amongst our clients that if yeah. if if they are sharing data or we are custodians of data on their behalf that it is secure that it is protective uh, protected you know we have the technical and organizational measures required by gdpr uh to you know meet the requirements and expectations um whilst at the same time being able to help our clients to meet their obligations you know we are yeah. we are i think we see ourselves truly as partners with them we are we are an extension of their their good practices and their good processes and it is important to us that that we remain that kind of trusted pair of mm-hmm. hands when there is such yeah. a focus on data and uh, and security I mean, that's that's really the key here, Matt. Is is about the trust because, you know, these these companies particularly are very much in silos. You know, they work on premise. There's not a lot of cases where they've gone out to the cloud with such sensitive data. Yes. So I just wanted to sort of see where that's happened because COVID has brought that situation to us now. 
Um, and that's why we obviously get a lot of interest in what we do is mm, to help those yeah, companies sure. with the end-to-end -end, end -end encryption, but mostly also about the audit trail capabilities that yes. can be presented yeah. um, as well. Um, so I just wanted to touch on, because we're starting to get the clocks running down, as sure, I can see, yeah. but um, I just wanted to move towards the the future, you know, um, yeah. do you think the solutions will remain in place that, the yeah. way that we're working now? Or is it likely going to be back that you're going to go back on site? Or do you think there's going to be a mix of both? You know, you're going to be partially yeah. on site, more remotely. Is In fact, is your customers going to be working more remotely in the future yeah. as well? Um, yeah. Of course, this is all unknown, but what does the future for clinical trials and research yeah. or your particular industry look like? It's really interesting. I mean, the, the future of clinical trials is a, a really in interesting question right now. Um, I think, you know, because of the regulatory requirements that apply to the drug development process, I think it's fair to say that the industry has, has been relatively slow to adopt new technology and a methodology like remote monitoring and, and auditing. You know, we've we've been discussing these kinds of initiatives for, for a long time as an industry, um, but we've held back from, from implementing them. Perhaps that's out of fear of criticism from from regulatory agencies or perhaps it's internal bureaucracy. I think you yeah. know COVID has changed all of that and, and yeah. really forced our hand to a to a certain extent. Now we will we're going to have to implement these new technologies and techniques to ensure that we can bring the next generation of new medicines to market. And and it's you know frankly it's too important not to do that. Yeah, uh, it's essential that we do. Um, you know the the good news is that regular regulatory agencies are now becoming more open to this and 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 some of them have actually already come out and said you know look it's okay to use remote or or technology driven solutions in certain circumstances um you know and some of the even actually issued guidance on on what their expectations around this you know if you if you cho choose to go down that route which is which is great um you know, so I, I think we will see more uptake of of new methodology and 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 new solutions. I think the longer that clinical trials are affected by COVID, the the more the more distributed they'll they'll become. So there'll yeah. be less site centric. So you we're going to see more. We actually we are already seeing more activities taking place in other locations than the traditional uh -huh. hospitals and clinics, you know, even in the homes of, of the subjects themselves. And, you know, it's going to be a challenge to, to, to get to grips with that. Um, and what the, you know, what the implications are, uh, on, on quality and, and compliance. But, you know, I see the industry is, is, is moving in, in that yeah. direction. I think at the beginning of COVID, I think it was a wait and see approach. And it was, oh, you know, we think this might last a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Now right. that we're talking about a second wave, yeah. you know, and we're seeing cases rise in France, Spain, the UK, uh, you know, still significant numbers in, in the US and India. It's becoming apparent that that, you know, return to normal is some distance some time away you know if if in fact it's it's ever going to come so the future yeah. i think it's definitely going to be technology driven it's going to be um uh less site centric 
and I, and I see industry and the regulators working together more closely to determine what is and is not acceptable, you yeah. know, in terms of data privacy, sharing of data, uh, and access to, to sensitive health data, which is the, you know, the foundation of, of most clinical trials. Yeah. And, and to the, I think the last point I wanted to finish on before we wrap this up is what we're seeing as well now is there's an opportunity for some of the smaller companies, smaller than some of the, in the biotech side to jump on board because there's cloud adoption there. Yeah. It's starting to become more popular. And because of the COVID situation, there's more collaboration happening now, probably more than ever before, which is a fantastic thing for, for that particular industry and, and probably mm. society as a whole that people are now able to share or companies are now able to share that information with each other. They're able to see and move forward a lot quicker than maybe previously in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, because as you mentioned, you've got offices established everywhere, but so we've got customers that are doing clinical trials in different countries and they're able to compare that information yeah. through cloud adoption technologies, obviously prevailing that security is paramount yeah. uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, is that something that you're also witnessing as well? It is, yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that we, that we started off with a discussion about, you know, where is Adamas based yeah. geographically? And actually, you know, on reflection, geographic location is is actually becoming less and less significant. It's mm -hmm. great that we have that we do have that global reach, but as we develop these technological solutions, actually, where that solution geographically is coming from is is, is not so relevant. Um, I think I think also the point about these things is that that these service offerings or or, or you know in, innovations in terms of you know data sharing and, and data security are are much more easily scalable uh, than than they ever used to be and 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 that was the problem in our well one of the challenges in the in the QA industry was that you know if you needed to do more more audits you needed more people you needed more well, travel it yeah. was more expensive uh, you know and you know the the, the costs and the resources. Uh, went up e exponentially. Nowadays, that's not the case, and we can have a much more, right. uh, you know, agile response. We can get mm -hmm. quality data much more easily and much more quickly. And yeah, that's that is going to increase access, which can which can only be a good thing. Great, Matt. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you today about this uh, industry and about what Adamas is doing. Uh, I hope that uh, you know you'll gain from from these uh, difficult times and um, you'll overcome them. But it's uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Fantastic! Thank you very much, Paul. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Take care now. Thanks a lot. Talk to you, you again. Too. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye, bye. bye. And that is all for today's episode of Under Control. You can find links to all our social platforms and to our guests in the episode description. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. Join me again in two weeks' time for the next episode.